Welcome to Human Factors Cast, your weekly podcast for all things human factors, psychology, and design. Hey, it's episode 172. Today is July 2nd, 2020, and this is Human Factors Cast. I'm your host, Nick Rome. I'm joined today by Mr. Blake Arnsdorf, sitting comfy on the couch. Yes, hanging out on the couch, loving life. How's everybody doing today? I don't know how everyone is, but I'm okay. (laughs) Well, that's good. That's a good start. Hey, we got some great news story for you this week. (laughs) Singular. (laughs) Just Uh, the one. Yeah, I mean, but but it's exciting, though. We're going to be talking about Facebook's uh, new super slim VR glasses. These are really cool. something I'm passionate about, and we're kind of getting into our old ways of talking about stuff that we're familiar with because we can rant on it. But anyway, um, hey, if you haven't had a chance, go check out Human Factors Minute on Patreon. Uh, we dug this out a little bit earlier this year. Uh, we just went through... The reason I'm mentioning this, Blake, is you and I just went through a big stint of recording another set of, what, I think it was like 10 episodes or something each. So we got another, like, 20 in. So, uh, yeah, go check that out. I mean, this is this is a highly researched, highly produced, uh, like, one minute of your time um, where you can go check out a, a slice of human factors. And, um, you know, I don't normally do this, but I want to read something that uh, one of our Patreons <laughs> wrote to us because I, I really like this. And I honestly, I'm not doing this to like, uh, you know, yank our chain or whatever, or uh, what's the term I'm looking for here? You're trying to toot that horn. Yeah, right I'm now. not trying to toot our horn here, but but I mean, like if, if this thought here resonates with you, then then check it out at least. You know, what do you got to lose? So uh, Nate writes... Hey, Nick and Blake, wanted to give you guys a shout out. I really love the Human Factors Minute. Honestly, I don't podcast at all that much. Uh, I got three little kids, and when I'm not working, I'm mostly with my family. And I love having the one-minute episodes pop into my inbox because they're a way for me to stay connected to your message without having to devote an entire hour. It gives me something to get a bit of information, connect with you, and removes my barrier to engagement because it's just a minute. Great product. Thanks for producing it. So thank you, Nate, for the incredibly kind words. Um, and really, that does kind of help us, uh, you know, continue on the path of where we're going. Because when we get sort of that validation, I mean, you know, we, we want to give back to people who support the show. And, and absolutely, if you find it useful, uh, engaging and fun, then um, that's wonderful. Then that means we're doing something right. And so... You know, we're always – I like to say we're receptive to feedback, and um, I think we finally got it right with Human Factors Minute. So anyway, all that to say, if, if you got literally one minute and $5 to spare, go check it out. Uh, it's on our Patreon now, and, um, you know, Blake and I are even looking further out into the future uh, for some of the other tiers, so stay tuned on that. Um, but uh, before we get into the news story this week, Blake, it's been it's been a minute – Speaking of Human Factors Minute, it's been a Human Factors Minute since we spoke. It what's, has, man. It's been a whole Human Factors Minute worth of time. Yeah, what's been going on with you? Man, not a whole lot too crazy going on over here. I think I've spent a way too much time in Ableton learning how to you know, program drums and make beats. And get, by getting into that, I think I've realized just how complex like even being a touring band is through you know spending too many hours through tutorials on youtube but i i remember back in the day i used to like a good friend of mine he had a 
garage that was just decked out with amps and cabinets and various like amp heads and pedals and all sorts of stuff like things you would kind of dream of if you were a guitar player or just a musician enthusiast and now you can do all of that stuff and have a whole lot of like range of tones that you can create just through your laptop and it's kind of nuts to me that like we've we've again in in the music industry anyway it's like it's like you've taken this this physical product that had like a lot of nuance to it and what had like this speciality to it and now we're able to create it in software that allows more people to have access to it and be able to like create and things like that so it's been interesting to kind of get into that world again and been a lot of fun for me anyway but i think i've spent a lot of time just with my door locked it with and with my headphones on like losing my hearing have you so there You've seen The Mandalorian, um, yes. and I promise this relates to music. Uh, have you seen the behind-the-scenes series that's been going on on Disney Plus right now? No, I haven't watched it. So the seventh episode uh, is all about the composition of music for the show. And uh, I'm going to mess up this guy's name, but his, uh, his, his name is Ludwig Göransson. He's he's the composer oh, for the I've show. I've heard of this yeah. guy. Yeah. So, yeah. uh have you seen his his insane sound wall? Yeah, this looks a lot like uh I might mess this guy's name up, but I've taken his music production course. It's like Andrew Huang. He's got something very similar that he uses in all of his like his YouTube videos, but in some of his music production. It's so cool. It's, so that that's so crazy, yeah. That process that you were describing of locking yourself in a room and trying to figure out sound is the same one that he employs for finding the, you know, sort of sounds of a of a TV show or movie. And so I just I wanted to point that out. If anyone if anyone wants to know what I'm talking about, I'll post it in Slack right now. Um there's uh yeah, there's this wall with all these like um I <laughs> It's been so long since I've been in the like equipment. It's it's musical equipment, but it's like the what do you call all that stuff? It's like compressors it's like and processors. So many, yeah, it's compressors, processors. You even got like mixing boards and stuff like that going on there too. I mean, it just looks like a wall full of knobs, um, like from from afar. And almost if you can think of like the 1920s, where like somebody would be using a switchboard, so taking cables and connecting them to other ones. Um, and Ableton actually has like a, a, U, a simulated UI for doing the same thing. Uh, but this is really cool. I've always thought that it was really interesting to see people using this kind of crazy setup to get these very, you know, managed sounds and really playing around, not just not just with the music aspect of it, but even understanding sound waves at a high level. See, okay, so I, I guess this is a question for somebody who's maybe more musically inclined. So there's a lot of knobs and buttons on this thing on on a wall like this and you know i i would imagine um like like you're sitting there you're playing with all these sound qualities and properties and like how do you how do you save that sound right how do you like do, do you take note of where every single knob and button is on this whole configuration to save that sound quality or is there a, like better way to save it i just don't know i'm i'm familiar with it yeah, as far as I understand it, and this is like more in the guitar realm of things, is a, a lot of times there's like, um, I forget the name. No, the name of the software is Cubase, but there's like a different kind of DAW out there that actually has kind of a built-in function for this. So like uh, it saves your last played sound. And then like for normal like use of sounds, like let's say I created something with a switchboard like this, likely you've got it plugged into some sort of software 
and if it's if it's a DAW like most most people use, it has a function to be able to save a preset based off of a sound. So you would have presets for it saved. Now for something like this that is a little more intensive and you're doing a lot of like physical basically movement and tweaking of knobs, I have no idea what if there's like a digital analog that allows you to remember where all that stuff was or if there's a way to you know, from metadata of a sound wave, know like, oh yeah, that was that chord keyboard turned to yeah. this setting. I have no idea. I knew I know from like a guitar player's perspective, you can save like preset sounds, but a lot of that is like um, having a bunch of stuff already programmed in your DAW using a couple of different like um, preamps or something like that. But something like this, I have no idea. This literally looks like the inside of the Millennium Falcon's cockpit. <laughs> like just yeah, this it does. Curved wall. Uh, anyway, I did post that on Slack for you all if, if you want to check that out. Um, but like, I, I gotta talk. I gotta get, I gotta talk about stuff uh, because so um, remember, I ordered this kit uh, about uh, what was it? I guess a month ago, and I finally got it in today. Um, and I've already messed up the kit, so. How now? There, what kit is this? Because I know it might be. Okay, yes. I know what it is, but people may not remember yeah, what it so, was. So, uh, for those of you uh, unfamiliar, I have put together a like Star Wars themed. Um, what's the best way to describe it? It's a Star Wars themed control panel. Um, and so, one of the creators I follow on YouTube actually put together a uh, assembly kit that is for like a a, a droid terminal. And, um, you know, he has a YouTube video on it. And I foolishly started assembling it without watching the YouTube video again. Uh, I planned to. I just, you know, wasn't in that moment. Um, And so uh, I had, you know, I messed up, but it wasn't critical, I guess. So I basically glued things in the wrong spot. And now I'm using super glue. And, um, you know, it's really hard to you know, uh, break two pieces off that have been glued together. So I've been slowing down my build and being much more deliberate. I just received it today and it's about halfway built or halfway assembled. I should say there's still a bunch of like painting and weathering and um, electronics that I still need to do for this uh, piece. But um, yeah, I'm excited about that. The other thing I'm excited about, unless you had anything you wanted to say about this kit, Blake, so is this going to be like another addition to your control panel that you already have? Yes. So, I, yeah, good point. So <laughs> I have the control panel. This is a droid socket, which now that I'm thinking about it, might sit a lot lower in the house. Because you got to think, astromech droids have to be able to access this panel, right? So it might just be sitting low to the ground. Although, I don't know, I have a small child who's now uh, just very close to walking. So um, that might not be the best idea. Uh, but I, I want to tie it into the other one. Um, to the point where some of the randomization things that I'm using for the other interface are being used for this one as well. So it kind of has this unified theme, even though it looks random, you know, like, or I might just take one of the random elements of the other one and put it in and, and make everything else static. I don't know, but, but the, the lights really make a prop like this come to life. So I'm, you know, I'll, I'll post pictures of it, but I did post that YouTube video a while ago, um, on our Slack, I think. Uh, if you want to go check that out. So, um, yeah, no, I've been building this, and uh, this was just today. Uh, but I got another project coming tomorrow that uh, that I'm going to have to – it's going to take a little bit of precedence. So it's actually putting together a new tool. Uh, and this tool is one by which it extrudes filament and, um, uh, you know, uh, builds things in a three-dimensional space by printing them. 
3D That's printer. That's so crazy, man. <laughs> yeah, I've been uh, I've been watching a lot of uh, informational videos about uh, 3D printing and sort of how how to make 3D products, um, you know, props and and uh, stuff like that. And so I just got down such a long rabbit hole that I was like, God, there's so much stuff I could do with it. And you know, I was I was really just sitting here thinking the other day. I was thinking this would be so cool to have a machine that just prints stuff out and you like you could print out Han Solo's blaster and assemble all the pieces and have it look like the real thing. Uh you know with with uh, That's too wild. Obviously a lot of TLC, but just from plastic, it just from the ground up is built and you put it together. And to me that is is really cool. Um there's a lot of other things that you can build like this. Like I saw a guy on YouTube was building stormtrooper armor out of this. I saw a guy on YouTube who's building. Um, Wait, with just a, a 3D printer building Stormtrooper armor? Yeah. Sign me up. That's right? crazy. So, yeah. Well, I mean, what you can do is you could print out a helmet in multiple parts. Uh, I, I ended up going with the Ender 3 Pro, which team seems to be the like general entry-level uh, 3D printer that does good enough quality. You know, and so so, like... I want to put together a helmet. I want to be able to cast that helmet in a in a mold and then be able to make multiple of that same helmet, you know? Like that's cool to me. Um and so uh you know, there's there's other practical things that you can do with it too. And and you know, the the reason I wanted it in the first place was for prop making and to sort of really go down this rabbit hole of projects, but then as I was thinking about it, you know, there's a lot more practical things that you can do with it too. Like if you lose a part to something, you can just draft it up and redo it. Um, or like, you know, right now we're keeping a fan between our sliding glass door and the door jam. And so, um, you know, but, but, but the problem is that it falls over all the time. And so if I could make a clip that clips on to both the fan and the door, you know, then and 3d print it, then it would just stay there. Um, so for like a complete novice who doesn't know anything really about 3d printing, how do you actually tell the printer what you wanted to print? Do you get to like design some of the, the projects you're going to be making in some kind of like graphic tool or are you just like getting them off the internet? Like, how does it work? Yeah. So I, this is going to sound bad for someone who just bought a 3d printer. I know the basics. Um, and you know, I'll watch a tutorial on how to go through the step-by-step process later. But as I understand it, you can design something in a 3d modeling tool, such as blender or, um, you know, some of the, some of the other ones out there, Blender's the one that I know. Um, and once you're done with that, you export it to a certain file format and then you load it up into a viewer um, that sets the parameters of the print for your 3D printer. So um, this will like allow you to, you know, because you can't print things that are like domed. So helmets are hard. Um, you can, but the issue is that you have to build up support material below it. And then once it's printed, you have to remove that support material. So there's there's some things that you have to do um, for prep, right? And this program, um, I forget what they're called. Uh, I know the name of it. It's Cura is one of them uh, that I plan on using. But it basically sets the parameters. It says, okay, the bed size of your printer is, uh, what, 250 millimeters by 250 millimeters. And so you can build this in it. And it will show you the mock-up and that file gets imported and you can kind of lay it on there however you like, orient it however makes sense to print. 
and the goal it's kind of an art right you got the the goal is to um retain as much strength as you can in the in where it matters um and uh especially with things like curved surfaces that go out a certain degree you know there's going to be um you have to have that supporting material and so that the that program does that um then once you set up all those parameters i believe you export that to another file that you insert into the 3d printer and then select it from the actual printer and then it starts printing wow that sounds pretty sweet man i can't wait till you like get this thing and i can get a sense of really what all has to be done because it sounds pretty simple but i'm sure there's a lot of cool nuance to it i'm sure there is i like i said i've been going down these long rabbit holes over the last couple weeks so like i have a whole print list of stuff that i want to print right off the bat which is so cool because 3d printers you can actually print out upgrades for your 3d printers with your 3d printer yeah Right, that was such a novel concept to me. I was like, "Of course you can." That makes so much sense. So, like, that's the, kind of interesting, though. Like, so what would that mean? How would you print like a uh, like an upgrade for your three D printer? Right. So, so think about this. So, like, there's there's the printer, and then let's say the printer came with a display that you know was just electronics that that were bolted to the back of it, but it was open. Right. So you can print a cover that goes over that. You can print out ah. clips that keep the wires out of the way in certain circumstances so that way the bed doesn't get caught on the wires and mess up your print you can also so the filament comes down from the top on on the specific model that i'm getting and it goes into a tube but because of the angle the filament rubs on the tube and eventually causes it to like catch on the tube and so if you built an extender that pulled that out away from the tube then it just goes kind of through that extender and goes in and so if it burns up the extender no big deal print out another one um and then there's also things like like i mentioned the the filaments on the top well you can print out an upgrade to put it off to the side so that way the filament in it comes in and it's not bending at a certain angle coming in kind of that's pretty sick yeah and i mean you can do like the coolest one i thought was uh so the the default fan that is angled at the nozzle where the filament comes out um kind of does a uh, like a like a horizontal sweep and it's not very focused it just kind of goes over the nozzle you know there's a fan over here that pushes air down and over the nozzle and you you can 3d print an accessory that goes into that same slot as the default one and it focuses it right on the nozzle so it's like improving the the very thing that you're using uh by printing on the thing that you're using it's so cool and was so novel to me and like now of course it makes a ton of sense but that's crazy it's kind of like ai improving ai yeah a little bit um (laughs) i mean it's it's really cool and you know i've already got a couple like practical projects too and i it's so it's interesting to me because i'm trying to open my brain to more of these sort of um practical things that i can do around the house right like like that that fan example I just told you about. There's also a thing in my car, so I have like a, a you know the the lighter plug um, plugged into a, a extender. So I have like several USBs and several other things that you can plug into it, uh, including my dash cam. And so uh, one thing I want to do, but but the problem is I you know use um, tape to like push it up, and it f- keeps falling down, and it just there's a lot of stuff there, and it's horribly mismanaged. And so I thought I could 3D print. Um, and uh insert that i could just put in there and then i could put 
basically wire things through and have it look really clean and really flush with the uh, with the front of the car, and it wouldn't move because I've taken the exact parameters of that thing. I've inserted it from the top and then pushed it in, and now it's not moving anywhere. So you can push against it. It's not going to fall. You can push against it. It's not going to go back. It won't go down. It won't go up. It's just all it's, – it's, so I, that's, that's the first real, like, 3D modeling project that I'm going to do, and I have to take a lot of really precise measurements and do some – uh, sort of prototyping, but I'm excited about it. Um, and again, like I'm, I'm just trying to think in my head, what other projects around the house could I do that, um, I couldn't do before. And it's really hard to like, just imagine, take yourself back to when you were five years old and be like, man, if only I had this right. And cause you know, that's not how the world works, but now it does. If you have this tool and it's kind of amazing. Yeah, it is really. It seriously is because it's based on like if you can imagine it and it might be functional, you can at least try and build it and then you know iterate on it if it doesn't work the first time. Three D printing has always been something kind of insane to me. Um, it's so cool the things you can create out of it. I'm still stuck on building you know stormtrooper gear from it. That sounds awesome. Oh well, you'll see plenty of that. I'll I'll make sure I have plenty of <laughs> Star Wars props to to show you over over time but anyway we should get to the news let's do it that's right this is the part of the show about human factors news this is where we talk about everything related to the field of human factors including super awesome vr glasses blake what do we got up first this week Oh, what we got up first is, like Nick said, some dope VR glasses. So Facebook and Oculus have been trying to make slimmer and more comfortable VR headsets for a while, but their latest experiment gets close to the ideal, so displays that are as easy to wear as a pair of sunglasses. So Facebook's Reality Labs has developed a proof-of-concept device that uses holographics that, with flat films for the optics, leading to the two displays that are less than 0.35 inches thick, much smaller than the usual LCD or OLED shining through glass. This has helped in part by the polarization-based optical folding that moves the light forward and back multiple times, shrinking it well below its original volume. Although the prototype outputs in monochrome, Facebook is promising a wider color range and a more and more vivid imagery when the technology is ready. The company also hopes to improve the resolution to the limit of human vision and eliminate visible pixels. The field of view should be comparable to existing headsets, and this design is, of course, unrefined, so it could be a while before you're wearing a finished product. And in addition to color output, Facebook will have to address challenges like battery life, device connectedness, and compatibility with conventional eyeglasses. This could lead to VR glasses you can wear for hours on end, which could be crucial for everything from sophisticated games through professional uses as well. So, Nick, that seems to be a constant problem for like when you're developing VR is you have to think about people with conventional glasses. But taking a first glance at these things, just at a high level from purely aesthetics, it's kind of insane that this is even um, going to be a viable concept. I mean, and, and I know we're talking about a proof of concept prototype, but they look like, you know, really stylized just sunglasses. Yeah, they do. And... I, I'm trying to rack my brain around how this works um, and how it can be so compact. And I'm looking at um, the... Dis okay, so I'm going to try to explain this because it's a very visual thing. 
Um, and being on a podcast is very difficult to try to explain. So, so uh, help me, Blake, if you're not understanding, and we can try to explain it for our listeners. So, traditionally, um, what you have is a screen in front of your face uh, through which... Uh, so, you, you have a screen and a lens, and that lens distorts your field of view and your vision, so that way you can see the full screen, and it looks like it's taking up more field of view than it actually is in front of you. Are, are, are we here so far? We Tracking, yeah. That's like a traditional headset. So what this is doing is it's projecting on kind of like, a, think about like a two-way mirror, uh, kind of, where it bounces back and forth behind, and I'm, I'm simplifying this entirely, and there's somebody out there who's going, you're getting it wrong. I'm just trying to explain it in layman's terms. So it's basically like, uh, think about, you ever see those diagrams of how a laser works, where it bounces around until it gets enough power to go through one end? Yep, exactly. That's it's a great analogy. kind of doing that um, in a very short uh, distance. So in front of the lens, right, you got a holographic lens, which basically bounces these things back and forth until it gets enough to come out and it you know reflects back there but it reflects in an image and that's basically what's happening and that's why they can do it at such uh, uh, short distances and and that, that's that's my understanding of it um, okay that makes a lot more sense because I was wondering how they're able to do it at such like a, a close focal length or a link that's really close to your eyeball itself because um, if you look at like if for anybody that's listening, you want to take a look at the article. I know we posted in Slack, or it was posted in Slack. It's from Engadget, but the image, like at the profile view of the guy wearing the glasses, you can kind of see the screen itself, and it looks like it's really, really close to your eye. Um, so I think Nick, your description makes this a lot clearer exactly what's going on here. That's allowing you to get that holographic effect. Yeah, I, I'm so uh, Facebook actually has like a much more detailed account of how this stuff actually works. Um, I I'm not going to try to explain it all right here. I think this is cool for a variety of reasons because um, you know the the more compact we make a technology, um, the the easier it is to become ubiquitous. At least in in my opinion, right? Like think about these glasses. How easy. Would it be to take these when you're on vacation, when the world is normal? Um, or, you know, if you want to um, distribute a, uh, you know, and I, I can't tell in the picture, there's probably a cord that's going to a computer somewhere or something. But, um, well, actually, yeah, there's got to be, It doesn't right? look like it. I don't know what's I going on. I don't with see the, it. I don't even see like a port anywhere, but I would assume it has to well, be. Well, I mean, you know, Facebook, Oculus is also behind. Um, the uh the quest right which is a standalone thing that you wear on your head and so like the more portable the more uh compact we can make these things the better and this is like pretty dang close to just being um something you slap on your head and go right like uh the, the only um the only i wouldn't even call it an issue uh is is the fact that your field of vision um your field of view on the periphery is not obscured so you actually have a sense of what's going on. And I don't even know if that's an issue because if you have a sense of what's going on in the real world, but then your, uh, you know, your periphery is masked to the real world. I don't know if that would help with motion sickness or not. I'd be curious to see what kind of studies come out of that. Um, the, the, the issue is when you get into virtual reality, 
and your entire field of vision is taken up, um, you are more susceptible to motion sickness because the things that are happening in the virtual environment are not what's happening in the real environment. No matter how close it tries to get, it's not what's happening, right? So that's why people fall over in VR. That's why people, um, you know, safety measures, especially in labs, are uh, taken very seriously. And so the fact that these these I'll call them sunglasses. They actually, you know, you it would be like looking at a screen um, and, you know, it'd be like real glasses. You'd be able to see out the sides of your glasses uh, with the real world. But then, you know, most of your vision is in virtual reality. But but because you have that periphery in the real world, you can actually your um, your sensory perception is is uh, what am I trying to say here? It's it's not going to be as severe. You're not going to be as prone to motion sickness. Oh, so you're saying you're not going to be because you have that anchoring in the real world right. out of your peripheral vision? That's exactly That's interesting. Yeah, yeah I would have. I actually would have thought the opposite for some reason. Um, um, potentially, if there's a mismatch, right? But I mean, VR has gotten so good at, at trying to sort of guess. I don't know. It. I don't know. That's why I'm interested in what kind of studies come out of this because. Uh, yeah, that's something that's interesting to me for sure. Yeah, it's. I don't know. So it, it's interesting because we come from like a, a human vector science background, right? So I'm used to reading a lot of papers and stuff like that when I was in grad school. But it's really cool to see that basically Facebook is putting out papers about this stuff through ACM. And it's, I don't know, it's kind of fun to read through it and reminisce about going through this kind of research. And it, it seems like they're really putting a lot of effort into the technology. So it'd be awesome to see where it goes. And of course, like I love the idea of the gaming aspect of it, but as soon as we read this, I mean, thinking about like how we how we're dealing with the world right now, it's especially from a work perspective, I could imagine this giving you a little bit more of like a, a touchy feely immersion in meetings, right? For people that miss like being in the same room as people, uh, being able to like share a meeting right. space, if you will, or see each other in VR or something like that. Um, so it's got a lot of cool applications and. Not to mention that it, they just look pretty sick. The uh, the the, the the one place. So yeah, VR applications fine. Um, the one place I can definitely see this being even more interesting is is mixed reality. Um, if you have your entire vision that's obscured by a screen that is reality, uh, like two cameras sending you feeds from each eye hole, uh, and you know. If, I'm going to get into IPD really quick and obviously adjust the IPD. So that way the cameras are that far away from you realize so that way reality IPD would be uh, uh, interpupillary distance. Uh, there we are. So, yeah. So I mean like everyone's different. So you'd have to adjust. Anyway, the whole point is that if mixed reality was a, um, was captured on these glasses, then the periphery would make sense. And you could do some wild shit with this. You could like throw a dragon in your living room and it would look convincing because it is built right in to the vision. It's not an overlay. It's cameras picking up the feed, overlaying it with the thing in a, in a software, overlaying it with the dragon in a software um, that might compute things like shadows. And so you might be able to see things um, in mixed reality that you might not be able to see with traditional mixed reality, which is kind of like what Google Glass used to be uh, with, you know, just a, pro a projection on a lens that augmented reality. Um, I think I think the distinction between augmented and mixed reality is the fact that when you're in mixed reality, it's uh, 
it's a you're looking at a, a digital image of reality uh with with uh stuff that's overlaid through a computer versus overlaid with a projector i think that's the distinction don't hold me to that it's been a while <laughs> yeah that sounds about right though I, so i mean i didn't even think about like kind of a transforming into a mixed reality context that sounds like it would actually be a little more interesting too because it's it it would fit the glasses model and the lightweight needs but then also it's it's mixing up your own reality um so that could be used for like fun purposes but also like who knows productivity or whatever it may be as well yeah uh i don't have much else to say about this this is really cool uh i'm glad we got to talk about this go check out facebook's uh full detailed report on this and gadget just did a little blurb but facebook got the real the real deal there uh all right well why don't we take a quick break and we'll get to uh, the rest of the show Human Factors Cast strives to bring you the best in Human Factors chatter every week. We pack news, interviews, reviews, and overall fun conversations into each and every product that we put our seal of approval on. But we can't do it without you. You see, the Human Factors Cast network is 100% listener supported. All the funds that go into running this show come from the listeners. That's why we're giving back to our supporters on Patreon, now more than ever. Pledges start at just $1 per month and include rewards like 24-7 access to our exclusive Human Factors Cast Slack channel, personalized professional reviews, and Human Factors Cast Infinite, a Patreon-only podcast where the topic is human factors, etc. We're always updating our rewards, so stop by patreon.com slash humanfactorscast to see what support level may be right for you. Thank you all, and remember... It depends. All right. And welcome to the rest of the show. All right. (laughs) And here we are. Here we are. The rest of the show. Uh, Before we continue, I just want to thank all our friends over at Engadget and Facebook for reporting on this story this week. If you want to follow along, we do post all those stories as we find them or as others in our community find them in our Slack. And it's a great place to connect with others uh, and just chat about human factors. It's, It's a good time. Um, all right, so let's go ahead and get into this next part of the show we like to call. It came from. It came from. It came from Reddit. <laughs> this is the part of the show where we search all over Reddit to bring you topics the community's talking about. Uh, this could be anything as long as it relates to human factors. It's fair game. You know what, Blake? I think um, I think we're gonna do a little check-in. I, I don't have the 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 link here, but you you found something a little earlier this week. That you wanted to that you wanted to bring up because it's been oh you're right it's been a while since we've done this uh, it's been at least a couple months um, and I feel like it's it's a good time to jump in and uh, anyway the, the what there's a specific Reddit post asking for Human Factors book recommendations um, yeah and I think last time that we did this I kind of like went off the went went to the other side and just gave like just UX or business related books and I thought since the human factors subreddit we try and give them some love it might be good to focus on some human factors related stuff if we had it on in our in the back of our minds well you got a human factors book i do not have a human factors book what is your book uh so my book is actually based off of something that Elise Hallett uses for her CSULB intro to human factors course um, and it's kind of a non-traditional human factors book, but it's it's called, let me see, it's called The Human Factor, um, Revolutionizing the Way People Live with Technology. And it's kind of like a novel by 
Kim Vicente talking a little bit about the impact of technology and how it grows exponentially and then that how that widens the gap between people and the use of tech. Uh, and it's just kind of an interesting breakdown of both like the, the psychology aspects of things. So talking about like sensation and perception, um, but how they tie into complex systems from everything from, you know, just simple hand eye coordination in sports all the way to like thinking about gov- government regulations like the FDA and how that impacts, you know, consumer goods. So it's just an interesting take on human factors without being, you know, very stuck in any of like the the language that we would typically be used to or diving too deep into any psychological concepts. So if it's, if it's some, if you're interested or you have friends that are interested in human factors, it's kind of a good read and a good way to get a sense of the breadth of things you can touch with understanding human factors methods. That's cool. I have to check that one out. I, so I mentioned that mine isn't a human factors book. However, um, I think this could help a lot of people listening. Uh, so my recommendation is Every Tool's a Hammer, and this is by Adam Savage. You might know him from Mythbusters. He worked on Star Wars. He um, has his uh, tested YouTube channel where he just builds stuff and creates stuff and makes stuff. And, um, you know, a, a lot of the stuff that I've been talking about on the show recently, or at least during quarantine, has been, you know, what can I do to keep my hands busy? What can I do to make things? And what can I do to... Um, sort of, you know, feel like I am um, making progress in, in with, uh, with skills and stuff. And a lot of what I'm doing in this quarantine is kind of problem solving, right? I'm, I'm getting tools, I'm learning new skills, and I'm trying to put them together in ways that make a finished product. And what this book does, uh, Every Tool's a Hammer, Life is What You Make It, um, it's a book about problem solving. It, it's, coming you know he's talking about his tools techniques materials um that he uses you know in his day-to-day and it's not so much a book about making things as it is about a mindset of being able to um sort of rethink the way you approach problems i think it's a very interesting book that um like i said a lot of people will, will find interest in it and and i just i loved it so uh, if you're if you're trying to think about new ways to tackle something that you know might be out of um, that you know we can learn things from other places. It's not like human factors is the end all be all for human factors techniques, and um, we can always learn things from other places. And you know this it's just a it's just an interesting way to think. That's all. Yeah, the mind shit, the mindset <laughs> shift. <laughs> we'll keep is that always in. kind of a a good way to. I don't know, approach any new problem. And I think reading books that are outside of the human factors realm or outside of UX or outside of whatever your profession happens to be and then finding, you know, inspiration or ways that you can kind of like tackle different situations from a different perspective is important. I mean, I kind of, I've, I've talked about this on the show before. That's like why I think that Jocko Willink's books are so impactful for me is it's, it's kind of a lifestyle I never lived and, it has like a lot more to do with like discipline and how that can apply to like, not just, you know, getting yourself up early during the day, but how it can apply to how you handle yourself in meetings and how you manage your emotions at work or how you manage your own tasking, that kind of stuff. Uh, so I completely agree. Yeah. And I mean, this, this is what inspired me to go out and do other certifications and courses. Oh, by the way, I have a couple extra letters after my name. I'm now a certified safe five scrum master. 
Wow, <laughs> save five. Yeah. Uh, nice. But yeah, anyway, I, I highly recommend this book. Uh, it's it's inspired me to um, get out of my comfort zone a little bit with, you know, I, I picked it up because my hobbies, but um, I think you can absolutely apply this to human factors too. And, and I have been trying to do that too. Awesome, man. That's some, We got some solid recommendations out of that. Yeah, those were some good recommendations. Uh, you know, what, what is what is your recommendation? Let us know. That's it for today, everyone. What did you think of the stories this week? Let us know what your recommendations are. You can uh, always join the discussion on our Slack or follow us on any of our social media channels at H-Factors Podcast. If you want to get to us directly, we read each and every email that comes to show at humanfactorscast.com. If you like what you hear, you want to support the show, you can leave us a review on your podcast medium of choice. If you really want to support the show uh, financially, we could use the help to, you know, help uh, keep the website afloat, to keep the SoundCloud, uh, what the the anyway, all the making sounds, all the fees. You can uh, join us on Patreon. We do have that Human Factors Minute for you that I mentioned at the top of the show, uh, and of course, you can always reach us at our home on the web, humanfactorscast.com. I want to thank Mr. Blake Arnstorf for being on the show today. Where can our listeners go and find you if they want to talk about orange grills? If you want to talk about orange grills, you can always find me in the Human Factors Cast Slack at, at Blake, but you can also follow me on social media across social media <laughs> at Don't Panic UX. I don't think I actually talked about orange grills on the show. That's a, that'll be an Easter egg for our listeners. Uh, oh, there you go. That's <laughs> for me. I've been your host, Nick Rome. You can find me across social media at Nick underscore Rome. Thanks again, guys, for tuning in to Human Factors Cast. Till next time, it, it does depend. doth depend. Spacecraft, railway locomotives, nuclear submarines, healthcare, jet aircraft, these are all examples of highly technical systems and organisations, and all have one particular thing in common. They all involve humans. Humans who want to do amazing things and are using technology to achieve them. They all have something else in common. They have amazing people ensuring that the users who are involved can do what they need to do, are safe when they do so, and have the optimum user experience. These people are Human Factors practitioners, and on 1202, the Human Factors podcast, they talk to me, Barry Kirby, about what they do, sharing their career paths, highlighting their ideas and best practices, and fundamentally raising awareness of our discipline. Find us on 1202podcast.com, on social media, and on your favourite podcast directory, because it's more than just common sense. <laughs>